So we just completed our summer school 2022 this past Wednesday. And some of you are, yeah, if I say so myself, it was good. We were, we had the benefit of uh, The Four Pivots, which is a book that we've been talking about. It's a book by uh, Dr. Sean Jen Wright. It's reimagining justice, reimagining ourselves, and it gives us an opportunity to just do the work. So we spent five weeks in an overview, if you will, taking the time to look at some of the possibilities. It was not a deep dive by any means. We touched on those key principles, those key ideas, and did some work with it. So I'm very, very pleased with the work that we did. And I just want to say the work continues. It must. If we're absolutely committed to it, then the work must continue. So here we are. We are, I want to remind you that we still have some books available. So this is kind of my PBS special uh, opportunity where I say to you, if you make an immediate additional donation of $20 or more, you can, we can send you a book or you can pick it up here. But we want to, the main point is that we want to engage you in the book. And we know that if there are people in your life, in your lives, who have not yet had an awareness of the book, that this would be an excellent opportunity to gift them the book. You could expose them via the QR code that's on the screen now so that you could experience his welcome video. There are a number of possibilities in terms of the engagement. Here's the thing, that when I think about the work that we did in the book, it reminded me of a couple of scriptures. The first one I'll share with you is Romans 12 and 2. Do not imitate this world, but be ye transformed by the renovation or the renewing of your mind. And you shall distinguish what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And that, that well, I don't know why it came to me. Sometimes we, we offer kind of our would you understand if I said our after whist explanation? You know, after the cards have been played, then we have real clarity about why we did what. But in the moment, we weren't clear at all. We were just doing stuff. You're just playing a card. So I, I, I truly don't know, but somehow in my mind, I made the connection. In the, poor, in the four pivots, Dr. Sean says that we need a fundamental shift in our values. A pivot in how we think, how we act, how we work, and how we connect. So to me, this directly connects, I'm connecting the dots here, around the renewal of our mind. A renewal, a renovation of the way that we are thinking about how to what? How to think, how to act, how to work, how to connect with each other. I hope that makes sense. Because I'm just, I'm working it out as best I can in my own world. What, what he says is that a pivot is a small change in direction from a single point where we are. So it's wherever you are now, if you can think about, you know, those of us who, who like basketball, you can see the player just 
like turning not even on a whole dime. You know, just in that moment, there's, there's just that, that pivot that allows them to, to make that three-pointer three or to, to move away or to get the ball in a different place. But it's that small change in direction. So it's not necessarily a major, sometimes I think what keeps us from making the changes required is that it feels like we have to start again. We have to just transform the entirety of our lives. And even if that is true, it still begins with a small pivot. And that we can do. He says it means through one small change in direction, over time we can get to exactly where we want to be. So a pivot is not a complete abandonment of what we know. That it, and I love this part, it braids together what we know and how we feel and how we wish to be. Can you see that? That three, this is not a two-part twist for some of us who understand some things about that. This is instead where we are literally doing an old-fashioned braid, a three-part braid, where we're putting together what we already know with how we feel and how we wish to be. We're putting all that together. I love this notion of a pivot and all that it can mean. Robert K. Ross, MD, who's the president and CEO of the California Endowment, says this. He says, Genright illuminates a needed path for our racially divided nation to move from a place of sobering pessimism toward what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Congressman John Lewis referred to as the beloved community. He says, Genright thoughtfully unpacks this pathway as a staged journey where each of us as individuals within the institutions we occupy can translate one's lived experience into the sharing of story, human connectedness, and concerted action in service of full inclusion. So that's a lot, but the bottom line is that there's a way to get there. I, I love this notion of a pathway as a staged journey, because what I, what I tease out of that is the intentionality, that there is a pathway that we're using to support our staged journey, our intended movement from where we are right now to where we desire to be. I hope this is making sense. This is, I'm, this, I'm doing some braiding up here, huh? I am braiding in my own ideas and feelings with Dr. Sean Jenright's beautiful, brilliant work. But this notion of we got to go someplace, yes? So look, here's what he offers us. He offers us these four pivots, which we know just from the title of the book itself, yes? And the first pivot is about awareness, and it's lens to mirror. The second pivot is about connection, transactional relationships to transformative, transformational, rather, relationships. The third pivot is about vision. It's moving from problem-loving, problem-entertaining to possibility-creating. 
Then that fourth and final pivot is about presence. And it's moving from the frenzy, the hustle of life to divine flow. So my question for you is simply, how might we actualize each pivot? That's our work. So our work isn't just to read the book. Our work isn't just to review the slides or the, the PowerPoint. Our work is to actualize it. So how might we begin to actualize each pivot? Let me take a moment to just talk about each one just just briefly, just as a, a bit of a summation. So pivot number one is awareness. It's about, it, it fosters awareness. Does that make sense if I say it that way? It, it fosters awareness. It's, it's, it's telling us that the very first thing, you know, consciousness is awareness. So it's bringing something else into our consciousness. It's this move from lens where, where, you know, some of us become the masters of the universe, the, the deputy sheriffs, if you will, where, where we, we're just scanning to see just what needs our attention to help other people on their journey. Very often, yes, because where does the lens face? The lens faces out. So it's not about us. We strapped a lens on, so we, uh, you over there, and him, that one, them, yes? So the suggestion here, though, is that we move from a solely, a sole lens focus to mirror. Oh, sicky, sicky. Because the mirror gives you a whole other view. And if you're really paying attention, the mirror will show you you with the lens. I'm just saying. I know I went too far. I went too far. But the idea here is to move from lens, just that sole outward focus, to include the mirror focus and shift from an solely external focus that limits our perception to one of honest self-reflection. Spending some time with, how do I look? How do I see me? What's going on in, with, as me? Then pivot two, connection. He says that that pivot is from transactional to transformative relationships. There is a line that um, I'm not sure that I can give you verbatim, but the idea is it was in Principles of Financial Freedom, a course that we have uh, taught a number of times here at Heart and Soul. But this idea is that some relationships, if we look at some relationships, they exist because of money. And in that course, it helps us to see that those relationships are, it's not a term that's used in the course, are transactional. They are based on 
something very specific. I'm tied in that relationship because I owe that person money. I'm tied in that relationship because that person owes me some money. I'm tied in that relationship because I'm hoping that'll give me some access. I don't know what all of the links are around that, but we see a perfect example of transactional. I'm in it because it's based very specifically on what I can get some way, shape, or form. I hope that's making sense. But instead, this idea of transformation, transformative rather, transformative relationships is about building connections that leverage our shared humanity. Building connections that leverage our shared humanity for collective care and compassion. Lord, we got work to do. We can tell that by looking at the world. We can always tell kind of our work by looking at the headlines. When we look at the headlines, the newspaper headlines, or the what, what, however you get your news, whatever that is, that is a form of a prayer request, and it lets you know kind of our collective consciousness. And so it's not to start complaining and gossiping around. It's to say, ooh, we got work to do. Let me start doing my part. Does that make sense? The third pivot, vision. He says it's about reimagining how we think, how we act, and by shifting from problem fixing, problem loving, meaning that it's the problem that we are so well versed in. And our specialization, our claim to fame, our badge is, I got to bring me the problem. I got the problem. I am the expert on the problem. But when we start looking at what are some of the solutions, what are the possibilities, you're like, mm, I don't know, but I, I got the problem down. I know exactly what the problem is. I can spell that out. And we want to... We want to change, move the weight on the scale so that, sure enough, there's a problem, but we are less invested in the problem than we are in our possibility thinking. So it's really retraining ourselves to create. And I love that we are forever, heart and soul, forever grounded in this notion of infinite possibility. Come on, just pony up to the pool of infinite possibilities and start looking to see what possibility could solve this, what possibility could make a difference, what possibilities, when what braided together, <laughs> can really transform our situation, our circumstance. This is a message, a pivot for such a time as this, yes? And then lastly, this notion of presence, which I am itching to get to as a whole series for us, because every time I read it, I think practicing the presence. It don't get no deeper than that. Now, he doesn't say that specifically, but if you do the work and you, you get into it, you know, well, I know that what, the way we would translate it is practicing the presence where we move from hustle, this hustle, this frenetic energy of got to, got to, got to, this one is for me. 
You know, just that busy, got to do it, just what else to do? When somebody would just say, could you just sit down? And after you sit down for a while, lie down. Which would just, I'm sure my eyes would just buck. Like, why would I do that? Sit and then lie. Well, it's coming to me. Because, (laughs) now, (laughs) sometimes in in some of the the team leads with whom I, I interact to at the level of kind of the, 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 what do we call them? The first in the world. You have the, the, the first responders, yes. Okay, so the equivalent at heart and soul when I am working on ideas. I don't just start right, typically I try not to start right here on mic in the pulpit with new ideas. Sometimes that's what happens, but I do my best to not do that. So when I have, you know, the insight, um, it usually comes from like, you know, I have an idea. <laughs> Sometimes those first responders are like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, God. You know, like they just need, they, they just need a moat <laughs> before they, you know, before the, the whole connection with that. So, so I get that when I have been on retreat, because that used to be a real scary time. I haven't been on one for years now, but when I would come back from a retreat, the first responders would be like, oh, Lord. I know she came back with some ideas. Because what? She was resting. She was resting. She actually set herself down and probably had some extended time to lie down. And what came out of that? is all of the stuff that has become who we are and why we are, but not out of the frenzy. I don't get no blessed ideas out of the frenzy. And if I, if I deliver those ideas for, for use, I usually take them back because they're a different quality. Do y'all understand what I'm talking about? It's, a, it's not that you won't create something. It's just that you're probably going to disown it later. Once you've rested and really had, really allowed the divine idea to to emanate, to take it a, a fuller form. Does this make sense? So this notion of moving from the hustle, from the frenzy of it, means that we are divesting from a hustle mentality. I'm going to have to pause so y'all can let that drop down. So that we divest from a hustle mentality. I don't even know if we can, if, if we are clear enough. You know, sometimes we are so in the mire that we can't even see clear enough to get an idea of how our world would be different if we could divest from this hustle mentality. See, I'm I'm not mad at you. If you can't get there yet, I'm going to simply say try it. Because we won't know unless we do. For some of us, we have hustled for so long that it is who we are and how we are. It is our identity. We just hustle Andriette. Andriette hustle. That's just kind of who we are and how we be. And they're like, oh, look at, no, she hustling. Don't bother her. Like, yeah, bother her. Invite her to sit down somewhere. 
and allow something else to happen. And what is that something else? The flow. Allow enough space for the flow to express. He says, divesting from the hustle mentality, which is an addiction to frenzy. We weren't really wanting to know we were addicted, were we? But every, you know, when we really look, when we do our mirror work, we begin to get a sense of our addiction to the frenetic energy, the frenzy, and instead find a calmer, gentler, more productive flow state. Oh, I have to tell you, once I have rested up, I, I, I swear to you, the team used to be like, oh, God. Oh, God, she's been on retreat. She's going to come back with a whole other idea. Let's, you know, I'm almost thinking now that I'm saying it that, that there ought to be a simultaneous retreat. You know, I go on retreat, and then the team gets a retreat so they can be ready. Because there will be what I call incoming. I just come to call it incoming. I know stuff is going to be coming through. And so we just all get ready for it. Because look, we got stuff to do. Why we are moving forward together in faith. So, so I've, I've, I've done a little, a, a little shift rooney with our, with our theme slide. Because we are on an adventure moving forward together in faith, which means we're going to have to do some stuff different. It's just that simple. We're going to have to do some stuff different in order to get this going. So the other scripture that came to me is Isaiah 30 and 21. And in that, the idea here is, and I'm sure you have some familiarity with it, this is the way, go ye in it. And so when I, when I read where, where Dr. Sean is inviting us to this pathway, this journey, it occurred to me, I just heard that scripture in my, in my inner ear, that is simply, this is the way, go ye in it. This is the Aramaic version of it for English speakers. This is the way, go ye in it, and do not turn away to the right or to the left. Yes. This notion of the pathway and the journey, because that's true. We are embarking on a journey of, of being, our adventure in faith, of moving forward together is our journey. And so Dr. Sean is offering us some pivots these are, some, these are some stepping stones, if you will. These are some ways, but here you go. This is the way. Go in it and do not turn. Do, <laughs> don't trip. There's going to be some shiny stuff on the road. There's going to be some stuff like, what's that over there on the right? or on that? It, mm -mm. This is the way. Walk ye in it. So what if that's what we endeavor to do? For real, for real. What if that's exactly what we endeavor to do? That, that we said that whenever we find ourselves out of, out of seek, what are we going to do? What's, what's, our, what's our intention? That's the first thing. 
if we have an intention as a bit of a grappling hook. You see, if you set an intention, it saves you in those moments when you go, what am I going to do? Oh, the intention. Oh, all right. Well, at least I'm going to be in the direction of that. Does that make sense? Because without an intention, that pretty much leaves anything available to happen. And a lot of that anything is not to your benefit. So when I find myself, what's the key? I must remember. It's to remember that I have an intention, that there are four pivots, that I'm doing my mirror work, that there are some affirmations. Come on. It's whenever I remember. God is me and I am God. Whenever I remember. This is, this is why this braiding together the principles and teachings that heart and soul relies on with the four pivots. Because nowhere in the work is it about God is me and I am God whenever I remember. But if you come there knowing that and you weave that in with the four pivots, you begin to see how powerful and transformational this work is. It simply, it, 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 it sits beautifully in our intentionality, yes, in our vision. So look, in the final chapter, chapter 12, entitled Wild. Dr. Sean says there are rules you have to follow when you're in the wild. And he tells a story about being on, being in uh, West Africa and Ghana specifically and walking across one of these. And, and hopefully you've either seen or will choose to see a photo of the kind of footbridge that is elevated above the jungle, essentially. And the story he tells is the guide is taking them across and telling them, you can hear the wildlife below. And he's saying how dangerous it would be. The reason we have to go this way is we could not take you through the jungle. Now, if you've been on safari, this ain't that. Being in a little Jeep in the cleared area and all of that, that has its own opportunities. But this is you would be literally in there. And so what he's saying is that in the, there are rules that you have to follow in the wild. And if you don't follow the rules, you won't survive because nature is unforgiving. Well, this is not just true in the wild, which is why he's sharing it with us. He's not, he's not planning a trip for us to all go, and this is part of the pre-work. This ain't that. It's that we're already on the trip. We are already in the wild because in the wild is that place where we are fearful where there's stuff going on that, you know, there are neighborhoods where some of y'all won't go. And there are neighborhoods where some of y'all will tell the rest of y'all don't go. Don't go without me. Why? Because I know how to be in that neighborhood. You don't know how to be. So it's the wild for you. And what he talks about is that, is that when, we called it, when we call it wild, that's our way of saying we don't know. Because if we know it's not wild to us, it's just, it's how it be. 
But when we don't know and it brings up some fear for us, it's wild. I love that, that metaphor that he's offering us because we can see so many applications for that. He says, though, perhaps more than anything else, these four pivots require us to joyfully dance between accountability and grace. At the end of our session on Wednesday, not the end of the session, but at the end of my conversation with uh, Dr. Sean, when he was a part of the uh, summer school session on Wednesday, and I believe my question was, you know, what do you want to leave us with? Like, what's of the utmost importance? What do, we, what do you want to make sure we don't miss? And he brought up accountability and grace. Well, he could have just got up and slapped me. <laughs> I mean, just, just why go to all the get into my personal business when he could have just gotten up and come over and, you know, and then I could turn the other cheek and look it up later on my own. But instead... <clears throat> He went on to talk about this idea of us joyfully dancing between accountability and grace. He says it's a type of letting go of all the little things we sweat over. And then he gives us some examples, but I'm going to ask you to do that. What, whatever the examples are, he ends up by saying, when you blow it, you say, I could just kick myself. Or worse, you know how we talk to ourselves in private when we think we've blown it, it brings that out in us. He says, but that's not grace. He says, we have to learn that grace is something we give ourselves and others when it's not deserved. It's like, leave me alone. I'm trying to work stuff out. Just, okay. You want me to frenzy or not frenzy? What? You know, so I'm just trying to work this out, Sean. Leave me alone. He says, grace is a reckoning with mercy. And time after time, he has learned that it is the only way to walk through the wilderness toward justice. Now, I kind of need a nap just having read that. You know what I mean? That's because accountability is defined as that quality or state of being accountable, especially with an obligation or willingness. You know, you got to be willing to take responsibility. And sometimes the scale tends, will tilt because that's the easier work. That's the lens, isn't it? That's, I see you and you're accountable for what I just saw. And then we can just go for years reviewing that. But then if it's about grace, which we know is the free, unmerited favor of the divine. So Dr. Sean says that dancing between accountability and grace is an art form. Would he have to tell us? We can see that it would be, but it's that that we must. We're going to have to hire a choreographer. Let's just be clear. We're going to have to have a coach and some support in order to do this dance. He says, because without grace, accountability becomes social confinement. And without accountability, though, grace can become sentimental surrender. You just, anything goes. But it's the balance. He says, we need to joyfully dance between both. And when that happens, we collectively humanize one another. 
and create new ways of being together. We begin, I have begun to realize in my mirror work just how, how anchored I have been in whatever the balance was. Sometimes way over here in accountability and sometimes way... But, but, and when we look in our lives for all of the places where we have these, these dualities, I either see it this way or that way. But this dance kind of puts us in a different place. He says we need to be human with each other. Not going to happen until we're human with ourselves. I'm just saying the chance of sending us out to be human with other people before we learn our own humanness is folly. He says we need others. We need others to see us as human. Oh, we can see that. There's not a black person within the sound of my voice for whom this could, this could serve as a balm for their soul. There's not a, a same gender loving person, a trans person, to anybody who's been othered. Anybody who's been othered who doesn't have a sense of that it, our humanness is a reflection. So we do need others to see our humanity, our humanness, in order for us to more fully claim it. You know, I wish you could just create your own and be in the world, but that's not really the way it works. That's an important part of the dance. That's an essential part of the dance. You're going to be responsible for you. But if it's never reflected back, that's going to be what my mama called a tough road to hoe. It just will be. He says this is the only way that our movements for justice will evolve. And I don't just mean organizationally. Our movements for justice within our own beingness. Because that's real. When we talk about justice, it's not just in or organizations in the world and the transformation. We don't have to transform our hearts and minds as a part of this. He says when we collectively turn inward to heal our hearts and soothe our souls, he says it's not an easy dance, but it's a worthy one. It's a worthy one. So I just want to, let me get to this. You've seen this before. But I think it's important where he says that justice and freedom are not just the absence of oppression, but rather they are the ability to create the type of world we envision. Well, that lands right where we live because we know that heart and soul is a part of the larger organization of centers for spiritual living where we affirm that we envision a world that works for all. Now, we don't pretend that we know how to do that. So this is not that we say it and then we go right out there and we get that thing done. But the vision is a grappling hook. We're like, we're not going to stop envisioning that. We're not going to stop holding that as our greater intention just because we don't know how to do it. Because what? 
When we come out of frenzy and hustle and we sit ourselves down and lie down and allow infinite possibility to be revealed, we will begin to know what step to take. This stuff is good. If we put it together, if we hook up the pieces, the mirror work that we have been doing is a huge part of this. But let me get right to the point here. That transformation is an inside job. Brannis wrote this song long, long ago, and I just, you know, thought I was the agent for the song, I guess. I don't know what I thought I was, like the executive producer or something. It was just, it was like my song. You know, the first time I heard it, I just knew this, what? We don't have to sing no other song, never. Because in this song, it lays it out. The first line is, if ever a change is going to come, it starts with me. Now, the rest could have just been music. <laughs> you know, just an inter uh, instrumental interlude for us to just take that in wholly and completely. If ever a change is going to come... It starts with me. Whatever I need is there just waiting for me. What? To step in and start right now creating whatever I see. Now, some of y'all are already ahead of me. I need you to stay with me. Because this idea of creating whatever I see presupposes you have a vision. That you have, you've set an intention, you have a vision, you're doing some of the work that we endeavor to teach you to practice. And then how did it go? Whatever I need is there just waiting for me. See, you wouldn't even know that you needed that if you didn't already have a vision for which that fit. To step in and start right now, bring your attention wholly within to acknowledge that there is one life. That that life is the living one, the strong one, the creative principle, the all and all, the source of all that is. And I know and I know that I know and I'm knowing on behalf of anyone and everyone within the sound of my voice that we, each and every one of us, are living the life of the living one, the strong one, the creative principle, the all in all divine light. Right where we are, the whole perfect and complete nature of the divine is. And so I speak this word from this vantage point of knowing that I am covered from top to bottom and side to side, that in and throughout the whole perfect and complete nature of the divine is permeating, is imbuing my entire beingness and that this is the truth about each and every one of us, that I am simply standing in the gap, if you will, that I am standing right here knowing the truth for anyone who is 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 not yet there, not yet there in the place of knowing who has any doubt, any fear, any question about why me, Lord, that I am standing knowing the truth. God is. 
I am. I encourage you to just say this with me. God is. I am. And all is well. That doesn't preclude the way it looks. That doesn't preclude the way it feels. It doesn't preclude the way it seems to be. What I know for sure is God is, I am, and all is well. And I can use, I can attach, I can assign to my busy mind the activity of discerning how all is well, even in the midst of my fear, of my doubt, of my concern, of my consideration, of my problem-loving. What I know and know that I know is that the presence and power and goodness, the love, the peace, the joy that I know is the divine expressing in my life and in all life is always present. It's up to me the degree to which I experience it, the degree to which I am aware of it. And so I shift that now consciously and intentionally, deciding that I am willing to see, that I am willing to know, that I am willing to feel the presence of the divine in this moment. Regardless of what else is going on, whatever else might otherwise have my attention, any other considerations that right now I know and I know that I know the whole perfect and complete nature of the divine right here and right now. And that knowing, that awareness, that consciousness changes everything. And for this I am grateful. Oh, how good and very good it is to speak this truth, to know that it goes on before me, guiding the way, illuminating the truth of my being. And so I speak this word for me and for everyone within the sound of my voice that this word clears the way, that it sets the crooked places straight. that it reveals the perfect truth of our humanity, of our humanness, of our love, of our light, of the grace of God surrounding and imbuing each and every one of us. It is an absolute perfect gratitude that I simply let go that I release this word into the perfect activity of law, which I know is love. And so I let it be. Now and forevermore, I seal it by simply saying, Ashe. Amen. And so it is. Love matters. <laughs>